Good morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have joined us for our second episode of The Artful Nutmeg. We're so excited to have you guys join us as we go into the Mount Rushmore of soccer figures in our lives. I'm Tom Ferguson, and I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how are you doing today? It is a snowy, but, uh, you know, somewhat manageable, uh, I, I guess, weather here in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Uh, we are expecting a blizzard sometime tomorrow, so we're hunkering down, and I figure this is a perfect time to record and edit a podcast, so not going to be doing a whole lot besides that. Right. Nice to, nice to hunker down, enjoy it. It's... Uh... It's it's still a little bit cold here, but we're getting to the to the spring kind of warmer months. Um, my building has decided that we need to switch to air conditioning, even though it's definitely too early. It's a nice forty degrees Fahrenheit over here. So uh, yeah, not really sure why they've hit us with the AC already, but that's life sometimes. Yeah, you know uh, it's uh, you know I, here's the thing I look at it. Uh, is back when I lived in DC was cherish the time that you have now with, you know, uh, the, the weather you have, because by the time that July, August uh, heat rolls around, you'll, you'll be wishing for this again. Yeah, that's fair. I see. I'm, I'm interested because uh, I guess because I, I grew up my first, my first few years of life, I grew up in uh, sunny Cyprus uh, in the Mediterranean, I'm such a like summer beach baby. Uh, I do not mind the July August. I would much rather have that if I had to pick one or the other. Right? I would rather it be yeah. humid and hot year round than cold and windy year round. That's I don't know why. That's just me. That's so hilarious because I'm the complete opposite. You're, you're <laughs> actually, you know. My wife says the same thing. Like, she's definitely a summer baby herself, which is odd because, like, I we are both June babies. So you would think that uh, we would very much be more apt towards the summer. But, you know, I I like that, you know, kind of dreary, breezy, like like London type of type of summer. That's that when I spent a summer over there, that was probably my favorite weather. And I actually have a little story. Uh, about that if we want to kind of get into like our our little introduction here so i you know this kind of came to me because i really like telling this story and uh you've maybe heard it before but it is probably my first like real experience with soccer i studied in london uh you know shakespeare and history and uh short story writing so i was an english major and one night uh, I got together with some friends and we were kind of going around and they were saying that uh, there was a student union where they were showing uh, the soccer match, but we weren't quite clear on what kind of match it was, but it was mid-May. So that meant it was the uh, UEFA Champions League final and we didn't realize it, but it was the 2008 final between Manchester United and Chelsea, which... Uh, I'm I'm sure you know Tom oh, yes. came down to w- one of the most dramatic finishes, uh, one of 
probably the lowest points of Cristiano Ronaldo's career, but uh, it was, or yeah, no, because he had that miss, but um, we uh, definitely had a really good time because we ended up hanging out at like a literal castle. Uh, it was this, you know, courtyard where they had these two gigantic like projector screens on and uh, you had probably like, 400 500 students all just like hanging out in this courtyard and you know i i liked soccer at that point like i had been a few years in uh following arsenal but i didn't know anything between like champions league and you know fa cup and all of this stuff so i you know kind of took it in and it was one of the wildest experiences because i got to see like soccer culture firsthand with a whole bunch of kids just like screaming and chanting and singing the songs and like it would be wild because you know they would be as quiet as a mouse for certain times and then you just have like these eruptions of cheers and whatnot and like it was really wild uh kind of experiencing that but um you know that i i only have like kind of like fleeting memories of that but like i'm i'm sure you uh, remember that match quite well. Yeah, so that match, I mean, Ronaldo Ronaldo uh, had a few misses. He didn't have a goal that game, but the the real the real person who had a bad day was uh, John Terry, who had, of course, the penalty to win it for Chelsea, only to slip on the wet Russian grass and uh, completely shank his penalty. That's right. I do remember that part. Now, did did Ronaldo also miss a penalty? But I, I'm trying to think because I'm I'm I remember there was a huge miss, and that's he, probably he the one I was thinking of was he missed as well. So, so he missed, I, and I, that gave John Terry the chance to win it, only for him to miss by absolutely oh, slipping. Oh, that's right. And uh, yeah. in the end, Van de Sar saved uh, saved. I think I want to say it was like the seventh kick. Uh, and yeah, we ended up winning it. I say we, sorry, I just outed myself as a Man United fan, but if that <laughs> wasn't clear already. <laughs> but, you know, a- another thing about that is, is when we got to the penalty stage, uh, you know, most, most everyone was kind of like sitting down and, um, you know, just, just hanging out. But once the penalties started, everyone stood up. And just got as close as they possibly could to the screens. And it, it's just like, I it was the wildest thing. Because I was like, why? I had mean, never seen that type of like reaction or dedication. Or just like, we're going to just stand here, be as quiet as possible, like during like the setup. And then once once the uh, kick happens, and then, you know, just everyone goes nuts in, in one way or another. And that... I, I love telling the story because that was like my first real taste of soccer because I kind of came in cool. super casual. I was, I was mostly trying to hit on girls at the time. And when, yeah, when all was said and done, I was like, okay, this is probably one of the wildest experiences I've had. And like, I've, I've been to like professional football games here in America. And like, I've been to like, big sec uh games i went to a old miss arkansas game oh, that, back in the day. that was kind of a wild experience <laughs> it really was and i would say like that's probably an atmosphere that gets closest uh in, in terms of the feeling 
that that soccer has and and oftentimes i do compare you know soccer football to uh college sports whether it's march madness or you know sec football like it's it's very similar is it just like the pure dedication the almost like cult you know dedication to uh to the teams that they have it's it's more than that because yeah you have your cultish fans for like professional sports teams but it is an atmosphere of song and chants and traditions that Mm. you don't see in a lot of other professional sports maybe maybe baseball but it's it's very placid it's very low-key laid back in comparison so that's almost kind of its own unique atmosphere there but in terms of just like the raw emotion that happens yeah college football and then you know soccer just like is is basically neck and neck as as far as my experience goes yeah no exactly and i think i think those uh in-person experiences or you know when you go to those games that's really when you fall fall in love uh you know going going to a game is just so different from watching it on television it it doesn't even compare so then that makes me wonder so you put down your best uh soccer memory as France versus Portugal, the World Cup semifinal in 2006. Yeah, so as uh, as I get, you know, as we talk about our rush, our Mount Rushmore, uh, our players, figures, mm-hmm. coaches, etc. The the game I remember, I I was very fortunate to go to a couple games uh, for the World Cup in 2006. And as a Man United fan, while I was <laughs> while I was you know absolutely gutted that England was knocked out in sort of the worst mm-hmm. possible way by you know Man United's new player Cristiano Ronaldo, who has if if you remember Rudy got sent off and he gave the wink over to his coach right after telling the ref to get him sent off. That's really funny you bring that up because. Uh, that is one that is a meme that goes all over the internet and i i've i've known about it but to be honest i've never seen the 2006 world cup because it was the 2010 world cup that i where i was a legitimate soccer fan and so like i that was my first one and so like you know that where i think of world cup memories it's, you know, USA versus Algeria and the crazy, you know, last minute goal from Landon Donovan, who may or may not be part of my Mount Rushmore, but <laughs> I, that's crazy. So, like, I, I never knew that's where that meme came from. But but now, yeah, I know. and uh, it was it was against. So it's so funny because that wink he gave, you know, after getting Wayne Rooney sent off, who was his teammate at Manchester United. And they had to come out. I remember they came out that that summer after you know the summer after the World Cup, uh, the like August months to say that everything is good between them. Like they don't hate each other. They're gonna be fine. And it's oh my god, it was just like such a odd because the whole summer everyone's like, so Wayne definitely never wants to play with that guy again. Like there's no chance. But. Back to back to why that's probably my favorite memory. So I got to go to the semifinal. 
And I got to see probably my favorite player of all time, Zinedine Zidane, where it was getting the getting near to the end of his career. Well, it was the last year of his career, but he was still class as always. And then I also got to see Cristiano Ronaldo, who is this up and coming star, uh, quick guy on the wing, you know, had feet that could do everything. And, you know, seeing, seeing those two careers where they were, watching them play against each other it was just a moment even even as you know i think it was 12 even as a 12 year old i'm there like wow like i you know sort of gave myself a reality check i don't think i'll ever get to this level <laughs> you know i don't think i'm gonna get there and yeah i mean that game was that game was so cool but yeah easily my favorite um yeah i that's I, you know that's something that i'm hoping to kind of do uh, as we go through this show and like i'm i'm sure that i've probably heard that story before like it it definitely comes back to me but it's it's one of those things where I, that's part of the why i wanted to do this project is like i have definitely consumed my share of like you know tifo or uh yeah tifo stories or copa 90 youtube videos that kind of like dive into it but it's it's one thing to sort of you know, passively uh, absorb those kinds of stories than, you know, to actually do the research yourself and, and tell the story as well. So, you know, I, I just, I, that's, that's mainly why I want to do this because I know I keep on forgetting like a lot of soccer history that I, I hear about. So it's kind of my own personal way of reminding myself and, you know, uh, getting into a lot of these different stories, but I kind of want to, so, you know, this week's episode is a little different because we are switching up the format a little bit, being that you and I are, you know, professionals who have day jobs and whatnot. We can't dedicate, you know, sort of weekly work research or deep dives into major topics. So in a way, I want to have kind of buffer weeks to sort of like, yeah you know, shoot some ideas and, you know, maybe as we talk about like these more personal uh, experiences, I want to be able to kind of get inspired and and maybe think of some more stories to tell down the line. But they're really to kind of break up the format, have like a more casual conversational episode where we just kind of get together and do some, some fun uh, topics where we can kind of touch on some things here and there. And so this week I talk about the Mount Mount Rushmore of soccer, being that I am from the Mount Rushmore state of South Dakota. A uh, lot yes. of people know about Ru Mount Rushmore, but they don't know where it comes from. So uh, that is just something you get to learn now is is where Mount Rushmore is located. But you know, being that uh, you know is this great monument to founding fathers of the United States. You know, I want to sort of have our own look at our own, you know, Mount Rushmore's. And this might be a topic we touch on, uh, you know, in the future. But I think this one is like our personal Mount Rushmore. We may do a Mount Rushmore of like greatest players who never, you know, played in a World Cup match or, you know, uh, players who, you know. Never played in a top uh, European league. Something, you know. That, who, yeah, exactly. Or, or greatest, you know sort of like career comeback type. So picking four 
players and then kind of uh you know sort of sort of arguing like why why they kind of belong up there so that's that's sort of the idea i had when i came up with this i like that yeah and i think i think it's a good start do you want to uh start with how do you want to do this you want to switch on and off or you want to give us your your four and then i'll give uh my four yeah yeah i think i think that sounds really good so um again this also kind of came up because i did a talk earlier with um kind of like this uh it's really sort of like this adult learning center out of a south dakota college and i sort of talked about soccer i gave them like a crash course on how to watch soccer where to watch it how to understand it that sort of thing and uh towards the end i picked out some figures that you know were personally close to me and actually what's kind of funny is that uh a couple of them are are here on my end but uh, I would say, yeah, uh, a couple of yours, uh, your mentions were up there as well. Hmm. Um, so first off, you know, Arsene Wenger is sort of the George Washington uh, on on my monument because, of course. excuse me, he was uh, Arsenal's manager for years and years and years and uh, really was just one of the most consistent managers in the premier league it's it's a testament where i think what was it It was like a 19 or 20 straight seasons uh making it to the champions league if if i'm correct on that uh the the consistency in which he led that club uh was phenomenal but it's very interesting because you know a, a he was a french uh player who you know didn't go super high like he wasn't you know uh, a super well-known uh player and he ended up coaching in japan for a while and then ended up at arsenal you know one of the biggest clubs in england and a lot of people were super unfamiliar with him and weren't quite sure what to make of him and i think to a degree like the players felt like that as well uh he came in completely transformed uh the culture within the club uh you know he banned smoking he completely changed the diet of the players he changed the way the players trained and uh really fostered yeah and through that fostered one of the greatest teams in you know i would say history with the invincibles uh and and that is why he's kind of that that number one figure there's so much more to kind of dig into, and I, I would love to do that at some point. Sorry, a, qu- a quick tangent on uh, Vega. Obviously, I have to hate him. Uh, that is just in my Manchester United uh, nature. But for anyone who hasn't uh, seen it, and maybe you haven't seen it, but someone made a documentary and or a, you know, a, I think a TV uh, TV service made a documentary about Ferguson versus Wenger uh, in 2018. I think I've made my roommate watch it about 27 times because it's just so good. And it's called The Feud. And it's all about how Ferguson was, you know, in the league, but how Arson came and basically transformed the Premier League. And, you know, he he came from... He came from a Japanese uh, Japanese league team 
it was very out of the blue for how you know he got hired. Yep. But what he was able to do, and I'll, I'm happy to admit it, what he was able to do with the Invincibles team and the introduction of French players in a in a big way to the Premier League was groundbreaking. And you know, many managers since, including one of his former players, uh, Patrick Vieira have you know adopted yeah <laughs> well i'm i'm glad you can say it and, and here's the thing i have never once said that i i hate sir alex ferguson in fact i don't think i've ever spoken of him in in less than glowing uh verbiage so i'll, <laughs> I'll just po- point that That's out fair. real quick at, at times we have hated each but uh <laughs> but no there I, is no lasting no lasting hate it's it's that yes, you know um, exactly. begrudging respect that exists, um, and and next is is uh, maybe a controversial pick. I don't know. He is a figure who I don't think there's anyone who's really middle when it comes to you know if they know about him. Nice. But mine is Landon Donovan, and uh, he is a guy I think. He is someone who attracted me to soccer. Uh, for for the longest time, I didn't think that like, or I was I, I had the mindset or the belief that you know Americans just couldn't compete uh, in Europe, or I never really heard of Americans competing in Europe, uh, let alone the Premier League. And when Donovan went over to Everton, uh, and then that made me realize like. Oh yeah, there are quality guys playing over there, and that also leads to like you know then suddenly realizing oh Tim Howard you know uh played for Manchester United so like that is um one of those things where once once you know and he was kind of like the most high profile American athlete as at least when it came to my adolescence I think when you go further back into the nineties you got Colby Jones you've got you know Alexi Lalas but for me. Uh, Landon Donovan uh, made me realize like, oh, yes, there are like quality American uh, soccer players. And yeah, uh, he's he's a guy I've always followed. Like when when he was kind of like the spokesperson for Mexico when the United States uh, missed out on the World Cup in 2018. I was like, yeah, viva la Mexico. Let's do it. So like, you know, he's he's someone I will I will follow wherever. the next, uh, this this is kind of my hipster pick, or or you know for the old heads type, but Johan Cruyff, uh, the the Flying Dutchman, is someone you know when I learned about him, and it, it was mostly you know him as a manager, uh, but the way he implemented the idea of total football at Barcelona, then it kind of made sense like oh this is why you know. 40-some-odd years later, like, Tiki Taka. Yeah, I mean, Tiki Taka is basically the renowned tactic nowadays. That's, like, the the pinnacle of good tactics. You've got uh, Zidane used it. Um, Arteta uses it now since he learned it from Pep Guardiola, the Man City coach. Uh, It's probably, I mean, my, again, my roommate and I talk about this a lot, that anytime. You know, a coach, a, a, they, anytime there's talk about a coach's tactics, about how great it is, et cetera, 
we always go, well, you can't contribute it to, you know, insert manager's name here. You got to uh, credit it to Johan Cruyff. <laughs> and he's, yeah, total football has just been there. And and it really is just that very fluid, you know, and it's why, you know, it's really why the game is as it is today. We're like, you know, if, if you talk about fullbacks, you know, they are really kind of wingers these days because, you know, as as that system has really sort of propagated among European clubs, like even the positions themselves where, you know, ha- you know, halfbacks are basically wingers now. And then you've got box to box midfielders who just do everything. And then you got the Wayne Rooney's of the world who will be defensive attackers. And like, it's it's wild to know that like, yeah, this this guy really shifted the the whole game and and really it's one of those things where it was probably the biggest shift you know probably since like Scotland introduced passing <laughs> to soccer way back in the uh in, in the 1800s in in the way that the game transformed then um you know it's 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 so funny you know kind of uh seeing seeing those ripple effects and then how yeah managers just continue to carry it uh, and then lastly is Thierry Henry, uh, obviously, you know, as, as an Arsenal fan outing myself, uh, you know, is it, is it, is it dumb for me to put two, you know, Arsenal legends on this? I don't think so. You know, uh, if I really wanted to be clever, I, I could, if I really wanted to be clever, you know, I could put Dennis Bergkamp in there or something, but no, uh, Henry, uh, really is like this total package. But he's really kind of the French Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, in in which I will say like he's a player I respect very deeply because I don't I don't respect people who talk trash all the time, but the players who can truly like back it up, I'm like yeah okay I I accept it. And so you you talk about his days, uh, or if if you look into his days with New York Red Bulls and the way he would absolutely ream his teammates it's like yeah you know he's he's kind of you know he's he's harsh but like i mean if, if if anyone if i could have anyone be harsh to me uh it would be a guy like Andre. so yeah and on Thierry Andre, he i think you know even as a rival fan uh knowing he's a arsenal legend i mean he's highly respected by i uh-huh. think all soccer footy football fans and just just because of how he presents himself one i mean yeah i had this conversation with of course my, oh, i have a group chat where it's me and then five arsenal fans and uh and you know of course they love thierry and you know they made this point that he's he's more respected than most other legends outside of their own you know, their own fan base. And I would have to agree with that. I mean, I think Thierry Henry, you know, A, he has punditry going on uh, with Paramount, which really, you know, you really get to see a different side of him. Mm-hmm. But he is definitely someone that can uh, back it up when it comes to when it comes to uh, talking, talking trash. And uh I think my favorite thing about him is the leaning on the corner flag uh, celebration that he does. That that was my favorite. I've noticed that uh, that Saka has started doing that as well. 
which is which is really funny. So it's you know he's a he's a good one. I was lucky to see him play uh, twice, and yeah, I mean he's absolutely brilliant. I mean you know he's he's won you know uh, the World Cup in 1998. Uh, you know Premier League. Uh, he is a Ballon d'Or runner up. Uh, he is a guy who has all the trophies, all the plaudits. And um, yeah, there's there. I he's just one of those guys where like yes, he fell short in in a couple regards when it comes to trophies. But I think when you look at the personal accolades, uh, he's definitely just up there. And yeah, he's he's a special player. Yeah, definitely. Well, going on to my own Mount Rushmore. Uh huh. I think uh, obviously, as you and Arsenal fan, I'm gonna go with Wenger. I, of course, as a Man United fan, have to go with Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, for me, growing up Man United fan, I think there was I think there was also just, you know, the fact, fun fact for everybody, my uh my last name is Ferguson. So that's that's a little mm-hmm. that's a little jib. My dad's name is Alexander Ferguson. So that sort of had a weird like second dad sort of feeling to it <laughs> to be honest for sure uh i just think that you know his his pure he came he came from aberdeen to man united a team that was you know man united was struggling when he came in and he was yeah. able his pure determination his his growth of the youth network being able to you know say what we're going to do the first thing that they did that Man United did under him was they hired a bunch of scouts to go and improve academies around England. He wanted to get, you know, around Salford, around Manchester, uh, neighboring counties. He wanted to grow the youth system in a huge way. So his, his idea of building up from youth, one that we see, you know, a lot of other teams use. I mean, Arsenal, for one, have used it. Ajax have used it. Man United continue to use it. It's this idea of putting trust in younger players because they ter- they tend to have more grit. He uh, he was knighted as the first British manager to win the Champions League. He has a record, I think, thirteen Premier League titles. And uh, Premier, 13 Premier League titles, a bunch of cups. Uh, and I think that's bonkers. Yeah, I think three Champions Leagues. Um, yep. He's just, yeah, for for me, I mean, I always tell my friends, like, I basically consider him my grandfather. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's Sir Alex Ferguson, the first to me. And uh, my dad can be the second. Sorry, dad, if you're listening. But yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely just such a such a big staple in terms of Man United as it is as a football club. And um yeah, I mean, going on from there, my second I would have to give it to the great Mia Ham. And uh funny story with Mia Ham is I growing up, I actually saw her play thanks thanks to my dad and uh my aunt, who was a FIFA employee at the time, uh, um, nice. We got tickets to the 03 World Cup that was in the U.S. 
So I got to see the U.S. women's team play the at the greatest stadium of all time, the uh, RFK st- Stadium in D.C. Yeah. Also known as Raccoon City now, as it is going to be demolished any day. But yeah, that was my first time going to a match and seeing Mia Hamm play, who was uh, an absolutely amazing player. She is she is sort of the George Washington of women's football, I would say. She really was the yes. big staple, big name that was around for women's football. And yeah, and especially to see how big that the women's great, like, game has grown. I think it's really important to look back at players like Mia Hamm. And yeah, I mean, that was an awesome experience. I I was nine. I still remember it as, you know, one of the better games. I believe we won three to one versus Sweden, maybe two to one. Uh, fun little staple to yeah. that. There was a, there that was also the, First time I saw the young 23-year-old at the time, Ali Wagner, play, which was really funny, who is an wow. absolute American legend these days. Yeah, I you know, it's it's funny you bring her up because she, you know, uh not not to make this sound the wrong way or anything, but like she is she's like the number five for me, to be honest, is and she was on my sort of highlight when I uh spoke to uh that that learners class was you know she when you talk about like the women's game uh she really is that george washington figure uh you know she played in college like when she was on the national team she was a college player for north carolina and uh she i think in sort of like a young iteration of like the um National Women's Soccer League. I think she was with Washington for like a, a season or something like that. Uh, but no, you you ask any one of the national team players these days, like Mia Mia Ham is absolutely like top of mind when it comes to their influence. And uh, she, you know, she was all over the place. I remember as a kid, like you know, uh, seeing Mia Ham everywhere. Yeah, kind of like the. Uh, mid to late 90s early 2000s she was just all over the place so like yeah she just a huge ambassador just a great person and yeah glad you included her yeah of course i mean and going back to how you know the game has grown uh the women's the women's uh i believe it's called the women's super league in england has become massive over there we have the shout out teams like of course sioux falls city fc over here in the states yeah yeah and yeah i mean i think it's obviously we need to make sure that women's soccer is is grown is promoted and i think a staple of that was mia ham and you know she was a fantastic player and yeah big big fan of hers but for me my next my next that i have to give a little bit of credit to pele as he probably could be up here but to in my defense i wasn't really born yet uh but i had to put ronaldinho the great ronaldinho okay yeah and for me that's because i had never seen a player like him 
He went. Yep. He went into professional games, you know, whether it's Champions League, the World Cup, and did it like he was playing a, a street footy. You know, he was playing. Yeah. He, he was just out there having fun, but he was so good. He was yeah. so clinical, and the things he could do with his feet were insane. I remember that the one of the I think one of the first videos on YouTube is him and it's not doctored or anything and it's just him slamming the ball against a crossbar over and over again yes yep and yes i remember that as well he's he's fantastic i really wish i really wish i got to see him play in person but i mean i yep. i still uh he his jersey his barca number 10 jersey is one of the first kits i ever got um, and I still watch his YouTube highlights to this day. I have to give credit to Pele, nice. of course, but he wasn't my time. So, and I know Ronaldinho brings a lot of his, but you have to think of players like Pele and Ronaldinho. They were they were big players that set benchmarks for the Brazilian players we see now going. And this idea of this freestyle flowing, you know, soccer player, yep, is huge. Oh, and then I was just gonna say, you know, we're we're loaded with uh, French players uh, on this list, and that that kind of brings you to your last one there. Oh yeah, have to. I mean, for for an English person, I'm there's there's a lot of French in here, isn't there? Uh, yeah, have there to. Is. I have to give it to Zidane. Zidane is uh, who I touched base on a little bit earlier in this episode. I was very thankful not only seeing the 2006 semifinal, but I also got to see Zidane's last and most infamous game uh, in the World Cup final. Now, in my opinion, he's the greatest player that's ever played. I think he's the cleanest player in terms of how he could just control a midfield, control a game. He was able to basically cut midfields in half being able to be double you know double marked and still be able to make it slight work he was yeah he was fantastic and um i have i have two two quick bits on him there's uh probably one of the greatest games i've ever seen not live not in person but on tv just yeah is uh france versus Brazil in the quarterfinals of the 2006 World Cup, which included mm-hmm. uh, Ronaldinho, who is my last one on this list. And that, oh man, I mean, if, for starters, I mean, France won off a Thierry Henry goal, 57th minute. But if yep. you want to, if you want to talk about class of the types of players that were in that game, I mean, it had everybody in it. I mean, you have your Ronaldo Nazario, so original Ronaldo. You have Ronaldinho. You have Cafu playing in that. Uh, they, of course, had a player named Fred, which makes me really happy. <laughs> but uh, you had Dito's goalie. <laughs> France had, I mean, speaking speaking back to Wenger, had this amazing defense that just... Yeah, I mean, they had everybody on it. They had Sagna, they had Patrick Vieira, 
uh, Makaleli, yeah, Zidane, Maluda, who played for Chelsea, unfortunately, uh, Ribery, and yeah, so that final was was amazing. Oh, William Gallas, ex Arsenal player too, but that yeah, I mean, seeing his last game with uh, the infamous headbutt, which is crazy to think that's how he left his last game. It's just, I, well, yeah. I mean, what's what's a more WWE script? His his uh, headbutt or Eric Cantona's um, booting of oh, the that's fan? Great too. Yeah, the French need to calm. The yeah. French need to calm down. Um, Zidane Zidane's is really funny because uh, have you? I might have told you this before. Have you ever actually heard why he headbutted uh, the player? I can't remember who it was. But yeah, do you know why he headbutted? No, him? I've never heard the story behind it. Nope. So he gave an interview like a year later about it, and basically the defender who the headbuttee was uh, kept grabbing a shirt, you know, kept pulling your shirt, kept pulling your shirt, and uh, Zidane is running, you know, running back to get back on side, and he goes, you know, if you want my shirt so much. You can have it after the game. And this defender replied, I'd prefer to have your sister. To which I think we can all say was a very valid reason for a headbutting. For sure. Absolutely nuts. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely nuts. First of all, some trash talk in there. I mean, my Lord. Second of all, what a response yeah. to go, not a fist, just a head straight to the chest. I mean, crazy. But yeah, I was at that game and I just remember there's no VAR. There's no, you know, any type of review. I think the linesman saw it. Right. But we're watching action happen on, you know, France's defensive end. And suddenly, like, everyone stops playing. We're kind of just like, what is going on? And uh, then we see the ref run over to the linesman. He, he go from the linesman over to Zidane and give him the red. And we're all like, why? Like, why? And, uh, yeah, they showed it on the screen. And a collective 80,000-something people all went, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> mental. But, yeah, and then he had to walk past that trophy. And that's how he ended his career. So I mean, he's he's my favorite player, probably my favorite on that list of four that I've given. That's that's an awesome Mount Rushmore, and you know, uh, yeah, I would love to do more of this because I think that is, you know, one thing it, it keeps us sharp to sort of you know have these different ideas, but also to you know have these little bite-sized bits. I think one, you know, yes, it's cool to have like deep dives onto singular topics, but yeah. to also sort of look at wider things and, and the way players and managers have shaped the game. I, I think this was, you know, this is a heck of a dual like Mount Rushmore here. Like if we had them next to each other. That would be oh, yeah. uh, quite the spread. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't pick anyone from your Mount Rushmore on my Mount Rushmore. 
Uh, but I think we would definitely see some overlap. Maybe if there were if there were eight people on that Rushmore, you know, we would see a lot right? more overlap. And yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think there's any argument the impact that any of the names, any of the people that we've talked about today had an impact on the game that we love so much. So, yeah, we're kind of doing it a little bit of uh, reverse order, uh, kind of from what we did last week. Uh, kind of wrapping up with some news. There's been some World Cup discussion, and, uh, you know, they the 2026 is going to be a completely different makeup that year. Uh, and then we're also on the United States. So they've also, you know, all the different host cities will be uh, uh, in there as well, and and also cities down in uh, Mexico. Uh, but yeah, you know, I I remember being in DC when they were really pushing to have it there. But it kind of makes sense that DC Ugh. didn't get it because yeah. would they? RFK is like one of the worst stadiums. RFK is <laughs> raccoon. Why, why it still exists, I don't know. Well, and this is kind of what's interesting because I doubt any of the, I don't think any of the stadiums they're playing at, aside from Kansas City, are soccer specific. And that's, it's kind of a drag, but, you know, I also get it because, you know, for MLS teams, you know, they've had to kind of build according to the fan base. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's been growing for sure. Uh, but it's a little bit of a, a different thing. But, you know, obviously, like, you know, uh, games like World Cup matches uh, require kind of that sixty to ninety thousand attendance type of thing. So yeah, you know, it's going to be huge. That, that makes perfect sense. It's going to be massive, and uh, I I hope uh, when that comes around, I'll I'll be able to uh, make it to you know at least a match or something. But um, yeah, so they've it's expanding to uh. 48 teams now crazy and it's it's just gonna be a, a massive tournament um yeah what what is it gonna look like in, in in sort of your uh view here it looks like that they're moving from the traditional four teams in a group uh top two make it to i believe three three teams in a group many more groups um i think that will be great because there will be no more like oh we're playing blank you know if we tie that's fine uh every game is going to be we have to win i i'm kind of not pumped i'm not really that excited about all the extra team spots uh i think that's an important part about qualifying is that only a certain only a certain number of teams can make it. And, you know, now we'll never ever see things such as the Netherlands missing out or Italy, uh, who won the Euros missing out on, you know, the last World Cup. But it's also but on the flip side of that, it's also important because there are, you know, the rules that were in place for federations like Africa and South America made them the hardest qualifying possible. Um, you know, you would always miss out on one of the big African giants that would go through, and we always missed out on some South American teams. Uh, my roommate is, and they lost on they lost in the final of the playoff, 
and yeah, I mean, gutting. So it'll be nice to see more more teams get in, you know, more players, especially those players that play for countries that not might not be, you know, so stacked. Uh, talk about teams like Egypt, uh, who Mohamed Salah runs the show over there. Yeah, I mean, it'll be good. I I kind of feel like they've it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a classic capitalistic money grab in terms of the expansion. It really is. Yeah. Um, and what, so it's going to mean more games. So something like a 47% increase, or if they, if they would have stayed at the uh, four team um, pots, it would have been, it would have gone to uh, 104 matches oh. uh, compared to 64 um, at the 2022 world cup. Another thing we're looking at is that uh, every World Cup now just seems to balloon to a longer and longer t- uh, time frame. Yeah. Uh, so they're looking at, uh, you know, in comparison to the Qatar World Cup, it's going to be uh, 10 days longer. And I think the Qatar World Cup was like a week longer uh, than the World than Cup the in Russia. Russia. So it is, it is just becoming kind of a loony little situation so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes but speaking of kind of lunacy is uh what's going on with the men's national team and great tangent greg Ber- great tangent <laughs> yep <laughs> greg Berhalter and claudio reyna situation so uh yes i don't know a lot about this so so please Please fill me in. I don't, I know very little. So after the so during the Qatar World Cup, uh, Burhalter was adamant about keeping Gio Reyna, who is Claudio's son, uh, benched because of a certain attitude problem. Uh, he was a disruption in the locker room, and a lot of this has to do with uh, Burhalter wanting to go with more of his. Uh, older seasoned players. Gio Reyna is a very popular player um, among national team fans because oh, one, yeah. he he is a young spark plug. Uh, he is a fantastic player. So when he was not getting uh, playing time in the World Cup, you know people were went just absolutely ballistic over it. Uh, what it comes down to is that after the fact. Uh, Burhalter did explain to the press that uh, he was experiencing some issues with uh, Gio's attitude. And a lot of people grabbed onto that because for Burhalter, his whole sort of philosophy is that any issues that happen within the team stays within the team. Nobody goes out and, and talks in, in at length about what's going on with players. Except, you know, for the fact that I, I actually it wasn't even uh, Burhalter going to the press. I think it was actually like a public meeting where he did mention um, what was going on with the Gio Reyna situation. So then this prompted uh, uh, Danielle Reyna to basically leak a uh, I, it was a, a domestic assault. Uh, between uh, Greg and Rosalina, who was who is his wife now, but at the time that this assault happened, she was just his college girlfriend. 
uh, it was a situation where they got into an argument and I believe the way he described it when he, he was actually very forthright when this news came out, he said that, yes, this happened. And I believe, uh, he had, um, kicked her a bunch of times, uh, to which Danielle had this, had claimed that, or no, yeah, Danielle claimed that Rosalina came and said that she base that Greg had basically beaten the stuff out of her, and she Oof. took that story and then leaked it um, uh, to the press, uh, kind of around the January uh, training camp for the United States. Uh, so there was an a third. It was a internal third-party investigation type of thing uh, between the U.S. Soccer Federation and then a, you know, outside investigator. Uh, but what it comes down to is that um, unprompted uh, or, or sort of like when they were investigating and they were having a meeting with Greg, uh, unprompted or unsolicited, he said, yes, this happened. He described it, you know, sort of in detail how it happened. And then when they went to Rosalina, she basically confirmed, yes, this is what happened. And then, you know, they've pretty much gone and found that, yes, this happened, but there's no sort of, uh, I guess, disciplinary action that's going to be taken. And this is this is okay. really coming down to just awful soccer parent drama on a global stage and the also ultimate soccer parent <laughs> yes ultimate soccer parent situation and it's unfortunate because you've got a whole bunch of people on twitter who are going ballistic over this stuff and it's really taking what is is really an unfortunate personal situation and making it terribly public between two men who more or less were close close friends e even you know up until you know the world cup were close friends you know between the two families and it's just it's unfortunate to see what's happened there yeah i mean it's a it sounds like it needs to be a reality tv series i think the uh, problem well not the <laughs> problem but i think the unfortunate uh, aspect is, you know, when you've known someone, they were playing together all the way from Youth League, I believe. Yeah. Uh, both both from New Jersey and, you know, the the both wives have known each other as well. You know, they've all been friends for decades at this point. Yep. So I think there's, there's, a, there's an aspect of sort of knowing everyone's dirty laundry. And, you know, apparently they, I, I know that they had some counseling after you know that that had yeah. happened um so it's it's pretty pretty bad from the reign of family to you know bring up something that had been that had been basically you know been to therapy talked yep. about it sort out a solution yeah, and all because they wanted their son to play more or they wanted to get rid of the coach because their son wasn't playing enough. It's just some very, very big soccer parent behavior. For sure. And, you know, just to kind of round this out with, with the lighter side of the news, um, coming up this Sunday, which is uh, March uh, 20th, I think, or no, 19th, um, 
they are continuing on with the uh, FA Cup, and I believe they're getting into the quarterfinals. And ESPN had a interesting little article about an unlikely team who is about three games away from one being FA Cup champions, but two getting entry into the next year's Europa League. And I am talking about Grins- Grimsby Town, which is a you know a town of about one hundred fifty thousand people. Up in Lincolnshire, yeah. uh, so Eastern Co- Coast League Two, uh, Le- League Two, and uh, boy, a team. Uh, so I did a, uh, you know, I did a little look into them, and they actually have a really fascinating and surprisingly fully baked like uh, Wikipedia page. Uh, but they've got such an interesting history where you know uh, they were, you know. A team that was like, you know, kind of like League Two, League One, you know, sort of floating. And then, you know, sort of post-war, they started to decline. Then they rallied in the 70s and the 80s and then part of the 90s. And then once the 2000s came around, uh, they just slide all the way down um, to kind of like those, uh, the the northern regional, like semi-pro leagues. Uh, But now they've, they've... uh, got new ownership that came in i think it was a uh 2021 or 2022 uh they they got new ownership and uh they've been steadily like clawing their way back and i just think it's super cool they are taking on um uh brighton hove albion uh this weekend and so i am definitely going to try to catch that in any way i can and then hopefully i mean i would love it you know if they continue on and uh, end up winning, I think that would be a fabulous episode to dive into this team and, and flesh out their history. Oh, for sure. And uh, some some fun, f- well, one's personal. Uh, uh-huh. They are the team that always hires me when I get fired as zip switch manager on football manager. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> I funny. Try to, literally, I always try to start a new football manager save as Ipswich and I can never do it. So Ipswich is my mom's side of family, uh, local team. And uh, yeah, I always try to bring them back to the prem. My uncle mm-hmm. was uh, actually the, it was actually the head medic at Ipswich, but Ipswich always fired me. So thank you tractor boys. But Grinsby is the team that is always there to hire me, and I always go to them. The uh, the Mighty Mariners, big fan of them. Hope hope they do well in the FA Cup. Hope they beat uh, Brighton, who are on a really good yeah run right now. They actually just won today, March fifteenth, uh, against Crystal Palace. So we'll see how that turns out. Hopefully they uh, they get Man United next. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's totally great wild. For them. Great for them, for sure. And yeah, even even if they don't make it, I think uh, just I I think I don't know. It seems like that's a uh, town that loves their football team. There was a actually a, an English comedian who was interviewed uh, in that story, and um, he see he seems to be fairly prominent in England, and uh, he says you know he uh, 
always made he's a season ticket holder always makes a match uh much to the detriment of his own career so that's super cool you know and especially like yeah this is why soccer is is so cool is that like even the the lower division teams just and you see it over here in the u.s with like the usl uh teams like yeah the people who are into it are just absolutely enthralled by it so I, I think that's a lovely, lovely story uh, to end this episode on. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think it's at a level where uh, where it's almost, it kind of feels like they've, they've won it, you know? Like, that's yeah. such an achievement to get to the quarterfinals that it's, it's really something to be proud of for Grimsby fans. That's rad. So, wrapping up, Tom... Where can our lovely listeners find you on the social networks? Yeah, of course. So uh, only people from DC may understand this, but on Twitter, you may find me at Snitch McConnell. On Instagram, you may find me at T.I. Ferguson, like Sir Alex Ferguson, 94. And of course, we have our channel name, which Daniel, of course, you can provide. Yeah, so you can find the Artful Nutmeg on Twitter and Instagram if you search that out. And obviously, you know, me, Daniel Wise, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Professor SDFC. Uh, there's a little bit of an inside story to that one, which maybe I'll get into. Uh, depends on if Hernan Losada gets hi- uh, fired from uh, Montreal this year, <laughs> which that's looking like a 90% chance. But you can also For find sure. me on Twitter at Daniel605Wise. But I just wanted to thank everyone uh, for listening to our show and supporting us, giving us great feedback. Uh, even the rough feedback is great. But we love you, and we just want you to remember, be well and watch more soccer. <laughs>